Welcome to the Emmanuel Baptist Church Podcast. We pray that the sermon you're about to hear would be useful as you grow in your love for God and your love for His church. Now, here's today's sermon. Well, if you would turn with me in your copy of God's Word, whatever that might look like, whether digital or paper, to 1 John. If you're using a pew Bible, or if you don't have a Bible of your own, we would love for you to use the one that's in the pew there, hard copy. Uh, it's the, towards the back of the book, just so you know how to get there. It's towards the back of the book, and for that particular Bible that's in the pews for you, it's page 185. While you're turning there, let me pray for us, pray that God's Word would work powerfully amongst His people. Lord Jesus, we ask right now that you would be present in the heralding of your divinely inspired word. We pray that your words would reign, not my words, but your words, as they carry much weight in the lives of your people. We pray that we would dwell on every word therein, meditate on it day and night, and we would come to know and love and cherish your word. And so, God, may it rest on your people now and have great fruit in our lives throughout the week. Use me as a mouthpiece and only merely a mouthpiece that you would be seen as glorious and awesome in your people. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. First John is where we are and we will be for a while. Uh, it's been a little while since we've been in this series through First John. Last time was about four, five weeks ago, and we, we took a big chunk. If you remember, First John chapter 1, and it was verses 5 all the way to chapter 2, verse 6. Do you remember this? It was, it was a large passage, and I use the analogy of, of how I want to walk through 1 John as like a bird. Like, where is this guy going with this? Well, like a bird soaring way up in the air, looking at the big picture of the landscape under him, it will see something and then turn back around and swoop low to grab it. And then after that, it will go back up high and look at the big picture. That's how I want to walk through 1 John. Last time we were looking at the big picture, what is the big picture of 1 John 1, 5 through 2, 6? What is John saying? And now, I actually want to circle around and within that confinements of that passage, look at the fine details of a few verses. This week, I want to look at 1 John 1, 9 in the context of verses 8 and 9. And... The topic, as you can tell there on the slot on the screen, is confessing sin. Let me read the passage. It's brief, and then we will we'll begin to consider it. This is what 1 John 1, starting in verse 8 into verse 9, says. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just, to forgive us our sins, and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 
You know, confessing sin is one of those topics. It's not comfortable, is it? It's so much rather talk about a million other topics. And in fact, if we can, we'll find any excuse not to do it. Am I right? We like to keep things private, especially our dirty laundry. We like to shut that door when friends come over and put on that face and we don't want to talk about our struggles. I think of the perfect example of what not to be is the example of Ravi Zacharias. You may know the story. A beloved apologist, a heralder of the truth. A champion, in the eyes of men at least, of the faith. Only to die. And months later, much information begins to come out of deep sin that Ravi lived in for years and years. Now, if you Google Ravi Zacharias, you will not see amongst the first things to pop up the books that he wrote, the debates that he was in. No, no, no. You'll see sexual misconduct, abuse of women, and the list goes on and on to much more egregious sins. Countless. More than the investigators could find. They had to stop their investigation because they found so much. And you think of the example of Ravi. And you think, wow, isn't that in all of us just this desire to not confess sin and save face? So this is a topic that's really uncomfortable for all of us. We'd like to hide our struggles if we can. But what we see in 1 John 1.9 is something that we have to dwell on, isn't it? We see two things in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. Firstly, we see a call to confess, particularly our sins. We see a call to confess. That's the first thing that we see. And I know it, it's not a direct call. It's not a command per se, right? Go and confess your sins. That's not what it says. It's not a direct call, but rather it's a, I'd say, implicit call, uh, an implied call call. And and John, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, implies this calling to confess your sins by saying, if you do it, you have a huge promise that you can trust in. Parents, you you can understand this and relate to this, right? If you've got kiddos. If you do this, you're going to get X, Y, and Z, right? I mean, Sarah and I are learning this right now. Bribing's so good for children. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Judah, if you clean, you'll get a snack, right? You'll get an M&M. And um, thank God that right now, that's all that takes, right? That's like currency of gold. And uh, not to equate that with what God's doing here, but we, we, we see that though it's not a direct call, go and confess, it's an implied call because he's saying once you do, you have this to look forward to. Right? It's an implied call to go and confess, to go do that so that you'll receive forgiveness and cleansing from your sins. So let's consider this calling to confess. Three questions I want to ask. If you're taking notes, write them down. Firstly, what is confession? Secondly, who do we confess to? 
Thirdly, how do we confess? All three are really important so that we can live out 1 John 1.9. If we are called to confess, it is important that we know what confession even is, who we should do it to, and how it should be done. And so let's consider those three quickly. Firstly, what is this thing that we're called to do? Called confession. I leaned over to Sarah during children's time because um, I think it was Paisley just hit it right on the head on what it should be. Actually, and it, it, so it was genuinely incredible wisdom, and maybe you didn't even realize it. She said, telling people the truth. Now, let me tease that out a little bit. Because confession is, I think, firstly, to acknowledge something to be true. It's acknowledging something to be true. More than anything else in the New Testament, what people confess is that Jesus is Lord. If you go throughout the, word, you, throughout the New Testament and you see a word study of this word confess, then more often than not, it's going to be confessing of the person of Jesus and who He is. We see that in John chapter 9, verse 22. We know the story, the blind man Jesus healed, and everyone says, well, how did you get healed? Was He born with sin? So they bring His parents in, they're asking, hey, was He born with this blindness? Was He later made blind and First John, or John chapter 9, verse 22 says, His parents, that is the blind man's, they feared the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be Christ, he would be put out of the synagogue. So it's to acknowledge something to be true. Here in 1 John 1, 9, it's to acknowledge that it is in fact true, I am in the wrong, and I have indeed sinned. That's what it means to confess. It's to acknowledge that it's true. Yes, I am in the wrong, I, I sinned. But it's not only to acknowledge something to be true. We can't just stop there. And Paisley didn't stop there. It's to acknowledge something to be true, yes, but it has to be done towards another outside yourself. That is to say, you can't confess if it's just a private accepting in your own head. You can't just believe it to be true yourself. It has to be acknowledged to a party outside of yourself for it to be confession. Consider this. The same exact word in the Greek for confess is also translated elsewhere as declare. Matthew 7, verse 22 and 23. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare. Same word, confess. I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. So you see, it's an acknowledgement of something, but it's two other people. A perfect example of this is in Revelation 3 when Jesus is talking about those who will remain faithful in the last days. And it says in Revelation 3, 5, the one who conquers will be clothed in white garments and I, that's Jesus, will never blot his name out from the book of life. Book of life. Instead, I will confess his name. Not privately. No, 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 no. Before my Father. and Before his angels. It's an acknowledgement 
towards other people. You see, if you acknowledge something to be true privately, it's called belief. That's a good thing to do. We're called to believe certain things. But it's once you tell it to others that it becomes not just belief, but confession. John 12, verse 42. Many of the authorities believed in Him. But for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it so that they would not be put out of the synagogue. It's belief until you mention it to other people or to a party outside of yourself. And so this is what confession is. Acknowledging something to be true towards another party. So who, then, is to be that other party? What is confession? Who do we confess to? Well, in the present passage, 1 John 1, 9, it's in the context of talking to God. If we confess our sins, He is faithful. He is faithful. He responds. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So, in the present passage, you find forgiveness and cleansing of sins once you confess to God. He's that other party. So let me just make it very clear. You don't need to go to a pastor or if you have a history in the Catholic church, you don't need to go to a priest and do confession to find remission of sin or or forgiveness of sin. It's a heresy taught by the Catholic church. It's not necessary to do that. God can be your only audience and it's still confession which leads to salvation. So in the present passage, God is that audience. And so if to the person maybe you've never confessed your sins to Christ and never called Him Lord, this is what's commonly called sinner's prayer or prayer of salvation. And I'd encourage you, if you've never confessed your sins before God, do it today. What that looks like is just acknowledging... I, God, I, I do see. I'm flawed. I make mistakes. And that's putting it lightly. Right? And I need a Savior to take my place for that judgment that comes from that. I'm in need because I'm flawed. Alright, so that's a, that's a sinner's prayer. That's a prayer of salvation. And it's acknowledging to God your need for a Savior, confessing your sins, your wrongdoing, and then we know because of 1 John 1, 9, what you will receive. Forgiveness and cleansing. So, for the person <laughs> that's sitting here maybe right now and, and thinking, so I can keep it private just between me and God. Good. I just said this verse is saying confession to God. Elsewhere, all throughout Scripture, we see that we are to also confess our sins to others. James 1, 5, 16, James 5.16 shows us that it is biblical indeed to confess our sins to other people. Therefore, confess your sins. It's a command in God's perfect Word. Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power in its working. So do you see, I just want you to see this real quick. 
There are benefits to confessing your sins which you will miss out on if you're only confessing your sins to God. Let me just say that again. There are benefits to confessing your sins to other people which you will miss out on if you only confess your sins to God. You can see right here in James chapter 5 that confession and inviting other people in makes your fight against sin that much stronger. Do you see that? But when you only confess to God and you don't confess to other people, you're missing out on the strength of numbers in your fight against sin. You have to confess it to others for their help. Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another. Why? So that you may be healed. Spiritual renewing of your current fight against sin. The prayer of a righteous person. That is those people that you invite in. They have great power in their working. And utilize that. I think about when Sarah and I uh, were in Springfield. We had this big event every year for Thanksgiving. Hundreds of people that uh, we were a part of leading that event. And <laughs> I remember one year we, we, didn't, we, we thought of all the ins and outs of all the workings that had to make this big banquet happen. Except for cleanup. <laughs> Don't forget a cleanup crew. And what happens is everyone leaves and it was not per se anyone's fault, but everyone leaves and Sarah and I are standing there with about five other people, maybe. This banquet hall is littered with trash and tables and chairs and the, and the venue had to be entirely cleaned up before the night was over and it's like 9.30 or 10 already. I think that's a good analogy for what we do to ourselves when we don't invite other people in to our fight with sin. You're left to clean up the mess all by yourself. When it comes to sin, more often than not, it's too big of a job for you to do by yourself, and you won't get it cleaned up. Confession to other people gives you benefits that you lose out on if you only keep it between you and God. Not only does it invite other people to help you with the fight, but actually confession can restore a broken relationship. We see that in Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, verses 23 and 24. You may know the passage. If you are offering your gift at the altar and, there, and you there remember that your brother has something against you, so you've wronged him in some way, well then, Leave your gift there at the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. You see, what's implied there is you go there and you make things right. And if you've wronged them, that includes confession, acknowledging guilt. And what that can lead to is a broken relationship being reconciled. Do you have a relationship like that right now in your life? Oftentimes, starting the conversation and just saying, hey, look, I want to own up to my part here. I hope we can make things work. Confession can lead to reconciled relationships. I'll also say this. Confession to other people other than just God helps other people feel comfortable around you to confess their sins. 
You ever find that to be true? You acknowledge your wrongdoing. Actually, it just opens up this environment to where they can also come clean about a couple things as well. And so, husbands, let me talk to you directly. Model confession in your household so that even your wife will feel comfortable to come to you about something that she's been wrestling with, that she can know that there's a safe place to talk about wrongdoing without being lashed back out at. So husbands, model that. Parents, mom and dad, I'm talking to both of you guys. Model confession so that your children will also feel comfortable like this is a place where people can talk about where they went wrong. So model that for your kiddos. Are you modeling that? Confessing to your spouse in front of them. Things that are appropriate. Confessing things to them whenever you've even wronged your kids. Believe it or not, adults can humble themselves and confess to children. And I'd say the spiritually mature in this room, model confession to those who might not be far as far along in the faith as you so that they would also feel comfortable to come clean about their sins. Just a general rule of thumb on this last point and then we're going to move on. Who do we confess to? General rule, confess your sins to those who are directly affected by your sin. You want to know who to confess to? Confess to the ones who are affected. Sin is never private, and therefore, we don't, we never have nobody to talk to about it. Do you know that we, we don't live in a vacuum? You don't live in a vacuum. And so, therefore, your sins aren't contained to a vacuum. This means that we always have people to talk to about our sins. If you're close to your spouse, as you ought to be, and you're married, your lives should be so intertwined that they should be affected by all that you do, good or bad. And that means that you should be talking to them about your sin. If your sin affects your children, get down on one knee and in words that make sense to them and are appropriate, age appropriate, ask for forgiveness. Say, Mommy, Mommy's so sorry. Daddy's so sorry. Model that. If your sins have affected your coworkers, acknowledge that to them. Sometimes we even see in Scripture that this means even acknowledging it corporately amongst the whole church. But regardless of who we are to confess to and who's affected by our sins, always, 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 we need to take time to confess our sins towards God. Before it ever affects anyone else, it always affects God. So that's who we should confess to. That is what confession is and who to confess to. Now quickly, how do we confess our sins? It's very quick, very easy. With a grieving heart and a thankful heart. Confess your sins with a grieving heart. If we acknowledge that we've grieved God's heart, we should obviously have a grieved heart ourselves. Amen? If we acknowledge that God's heart is broken because of something we've done, we shouldn't jump, just jump to thanksgiving that we're forgiven. No, we should have a moment of grieving that His heart is grieved. 
And add on top of that, not only if we've affected God, but if we've acknowledged that our wrong actions have hurt other people. More specifically, the people that we love. We should confess our sins with a grieving heart. But not only stay and only keep a grieving heart, but we should confess our sins with a thankful heart. Because we can know the response that God promises to meet us with. God, my heart is broken that I've sinned against you, but I'm so thankful that I already know your answer. You promised to forgive me. So that's how we are to confess our sins, with a grieving heart and a thankful heart. That's the first thing that we see in this verse. We see a call to confess, and we know what confession is, who to confess to, and how we should confess The second part in the verse is we see God's promise for when we confess what will happen. He's faithful and He's just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You see, the promise is actually rooted in what? His character. When you do this, you know this will happen because His character. Because His character... Firstly, God is faithful. We know this word. I think probably most commonly, being faithful is used in marriage, isn't it? A spouse is faithful to their spouse when they keep their vows. When the vows that they've made at the altar, however many years back, whenever they keep those, and they're remaining faithful. So what's that mean? Well, being faithful means that your word means something and you're trustworthy. Actually, in the Hebrew, the the word for faithful here is also translated as trustworthy in the Psalms. Psalm 93 verse 5, talking to God, your decrees are faithful. Your decrees are trustworthy. When you make a decree, it's reliable. It's very interesting. Let me give you a picture of this concept of being faithful, being trustworthy, being reliable. It's in Exodus. It's really interesting. Exodus 17. You know the story whenever um, the Israelites are fighting the Amalekites and, and Abraham goes up on the, on the mountain overseeing the battle? Exodus 17, starting in verse 10. Joshua did as Moses told him. He fought with Amalek, that's the leader of the Amalekites, while Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. Verse 11, whenever Moses held up his hand, Israel prevailed. Whenever he lowered his hand, Amalek prevailed. This is interesting. But Moses' hands grew weary. They took a stone and they put it under him, and he sat on it. And while Aaron and Hur held up his hands, one on one side and the other on the other side, so his hands were steady. So his hands were faithful. Same word. They held up his hands so that his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. Do you see a picture, an image of your mind of what being faithful is? 
It's firm. It's unshaking. It's not going to change. Moses' hands were supported. They weren't going down. God is faithful. You know, you and I sometimes make promises. We say if-thens all the time. If you do this, then I promise I'll do that. Sometimes we, we break those if-thens, don't we? Break our promises. What we see here is that when God says something, we know that it's trustworthy, it's reliable, it's steady, it's firm, and you can hang your hat on it. So listen to me, church. Because God is faithful, you can trust that when you confess, you will find forgiveness. It's because His character is faithful. But not only is faithful, He's just. Can I do a test with you? Just think in your head. When I say, because God is a just God, He will. What are you thinking? What's He going to do? Think, most normally, when we hear that God is a God of justice, and because He's just, we normally think He will bring judgment. That's true. But here, it's interesting. It's actually His love for justice that leads us, that leads to our forgiveness, not our judgment. You see that? When you confess your sins, He is faithful, and because He is just, because He's just, you'll find forgiveness. What? How does His love for justice lead to your forgiveness? Well, it has to do with what exactly happens when you confess your sins. And it happens in the blink of an eye. When you confess your sins, Jesus' work on the cross is applied to your sins. And now you are morally pure. The Bible says it's like you are white as snow. And actually, we stand before God with the righteousness of not yourself, but the righteousness of Christ. And so with that reality, it would actually be entirely unjust for God to judge you after you confess your sins. Have you thought about that? If you confess your sins and then Jesus' righteousness clothes you, you're white as snow standing before God and He still brings judgment into your life for eternity, it would actually be unjust of Him. He's judging the absolute pure. If you believe in Christ's righteousness being imputed to you. So, because he is not only faithful, but because he is just, you will find both forgiveness and cleansing. If you don't know this already, let me tell you about the consequences of your sins, especially if you don't walk with Jesus. You may think that they don't affect too many people, and they definitely don't stick with me for the long haul. Let me just tell you briefly what the Bible says. When you sin, those sins stick with you. 
And even when you forget about them, as a week goes by, two weeks go by, and the memory of what you did fades, becomes less important, because you've got other things going on for the week. Let me tell you, the memory of God, God's memory of that sin doesn't fade. He remembers just as clearly. Years later, the sin that you committed, as if it were the day of. It sticks with you. God hasn't forgotten. And not only does it stick with you, but it begins to leave a stain on you. Even if you feel like you look better than everyone else around you, God sees all the gunk that your sins leave on you. It sticks with you and it stains you. But let me tell you, when you confess your sins, all of that changes. What you've racked up, all that baggage that God sees you carrying, that that He remembers though you don't, all of that is dropped off and it's reduced to zero. Before you confess, God holds all of it against you. But after you confess, He doesn't hold any of it against you. And not only that does it all drop off, but actually the stain that it leaves on you is washed clean. And now there's no record of it at all. No residue from it. Through confession, you find absolute forgiveness of what you racked up and cleansing from the stain that it left. It's the power of confession. So, I've got one simple question for you as we're closing. And I want you to think very seriously on it. Each one here. How do you need to confess your sins today? Did you notice I didn't say, do you need to confess your sins today? How do you need to confess your sins today? And maybe for you, You never have before. So for you, it looks like a prayer of salvation just between you and God. Just saying, God, I I acknowledge. Please forgive me. Maybe you've already done that. You're walking with Jesus, but you've never made that step of getting baptized. Maybe your confession of sin actually needs to look like getting baptized. You're like, how is that a confession of sin? Well, it's an acknowledging before the rest of the church that, guys, I know my past, I've made mistakes, but, and I needed a Savior. It's a public acknowledgement of a need for a Savior and how you've accepted Him for the sins that you've committed. Maybe you've never been baptized today. I'd encourage you to do that. Not only because the Bible calls you to, it does, but because it means you're confessing your sinfulness and your acceptance of a Savior before other people. You don't need to give a laundry list of what you've done, just the general fact that you've needed a Savior. Maybe that's what confession looks like for you. Or maybe, this might be the most of us here, it means just being honest about our sins with those we're in community with. More honest than you've been leading up to today. Just saying, hey, can I talk to you about something? Start that conversation, and if necessary, 
seek their forgiveness. And as James 5.16 says, seek for their help. Because fighting sin, can't do it on your own. My encouragement to you is this, is when you confess your sins to God, because His character is faithful and just, He will forgive you of your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Let me pray. Thanks for listening to today's sermon. If you live in or near Bethany, Missouri, we invite you to join us for our worship services held on Sunday morning and Sunday evenings, as well as our various activities on Wednesday nights. For more information on how you can get involved, visit our website at bethanyibc.com. 